0: This is Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois, the podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. And now here's your host, Navy SEAL founder of Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, Rob Dubois. Normally on... Beyond Your Limits. I'll open up the show with a personal anecdote from my own life, from the SEAL teams or the Navy or the path of addiction or PTS recovery and near suicide and all the drama stuff of life. But today I wanted to, well, seek some wiser counsel on this and share some more important ideas for a very, very important topic with a friend, a very close friend and a champion in the problem we're going to be talking about. In Powerful Peace, in the chapter, Unconscious Bigotry, you read or will read about me sharing from Nick Christoph's book, Half the Sky. He and his wife, Cheryl Rudon, wrote a book called Half the Sky, Turning Oppression into Opportunity for Women Worldwide, 2009 publication. In that chapter, Unconscious Bigotry, I'm talking about the, the power of words, and I zoom in on the words pimp and Ho. Sounds funny, haha! Right? It's like uh, common. We, you'd hear Snooky talking about that stuff probably in in the in the trivial world of our pop culture. But I want to zoom in on these words because they have a much deeper, much more grim reality behind them. As I say in the book here, I told you up front I was going to point at some elephants. The detestable word pimp is one of the least challenged, most foul expressions in common English use. It deserves our utter contempt, not popularization. One of the examples given by Christoph and Wudun concerns a 15-year-old Cambodian girl named Sreirath on her first realizing she had been sold into sexual slavery in Malaysia. Quote, she fought back enraging the customer. So the boss got angry and hit me in the face, first with one hand and then the other, she remembers, telling her story with simple resignation. The mark stayed on my face for two weeks. Then the boss and the other gangsters raped her and beat her with their fists. You have to serve the customers, the boss told her as he punched her. If not, we will beat you to death. Do you want that? The girls were forced to work in the brothel seven days a week, 15 hours a day. They were kept naked to make it more difficult for them to run away or to keep tips or other money, and they were forbidden to ask customers to use condoms. They were battered until they smiled constantly and simulated joy at the sight of customers because men would not pay as much for sex with girls with reddened eyes and haggard faces. Sre managed to, this is me in the book, Sre managed to escape after some time, making her way with some other sex slaves to a local police station. Continuing to the text, the police first tried to shoo them away, then arrested the girls for illegal immigration. Rath served a year in prison under Malaysia's tough anti-immigration laws, and then she was supposed to be repatriated. She thought a Malaysian policeman was escorting her home when he drove her to the Thai border, but then he sold her to a trafficker who peddled her to a Thai brothel. So, returning to my text on powerful peace, think about stray the next time you consider using the word pimp casually. It is fundamentally identical to the early American institution of slavery. In recent decades, our nation staggered through a bloody, final, official liberation of ourselves from ourselves and that despicable, persistent spawn of slavery, segregation. Great men and women were led by that titan of inbreakable courage, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. They unflinchingly put their heads under heavy wooden clubs, swung by agents of a nation riddled with the diseases of fear and hatred. They were compelled by a dream that one day no man would be called the N-word, spelled out in my book, by anyone of any race. And they did it so no woman will be enslaved, brutalized, and possibly killed as a whore. And on that cheery note, I'm going to introduce our topic today of human trafficking with an expert in the field and a current active champion in the field of human trafficking. Like I said, longtime SEAL brother, friend of mine, Mike Fully, Fully Love. Brother, welcome to the show.
1: Glad to be here,
0: Rob. Mike Fully and I worked together at at an agency a number of years ago before I retired. In fact, he retired me. If this were a video podcast, you would be able to see the Silhouette, uh, uh, my what I call shadow box behind me on the wall, which you see in most of my podcasts or most of my uh, video uh, blogs, and has our you know the seal trident and my rank at the time and all the cool little awards and stuff I received, and and the paddle that, that Mike and his amazing team at my retirement back in two thousand six put together. But that's that's like a part of our story. And and Mike, I wanted to give it to you to talk about where you've come from. You know, Beyond Your Limits is all about. Eliminating self-limiting beliefs and behaviors and learning new strategies, overcoming people. This is a very, very ugly story I just shared. And I do that deliberately. I want to fuck with people. I want to get in your heads. I want to shake things up. I want to destroy the status quo. And I want to upset the apple cart, disrupt our common con- conscious or unconscious thought process going through the pop culture and, and, and give it to you. We'll talk about this issue of, of not only human trafficking, which you are an expert in, and, I, and I'll let you share more about the organization but uh, but you know what you've discovered along the way of how to to do what you can as a human being to fight for human dignity.
1: Well, great, thanks, Rob. I think it probably serves to give a little bit of background on one how I got here before I dive into the topic. I guess after I had the opportunity to have Rob carry me through that portion of my career where the agency when we were working together.
0: Probably my biggest challenge. <laughs> yeah,
1: I went back to the teams where I was part of a unit specialized in targeting and operations and intelligence fusion. And really what we are doing was focusing on violent extremist networks and really trying to take a network approach as opposed to playing whack-a-mole, which up to that point, you know, the military is very good. You kill one bomb maker, the next one fills its place. But okay, if you can disrupt the network, that will have a much more lasting impact, which is key because this is all about impact. So. I did that five years, but after only being home 15 months out of five years, that was not gonna be sustainable. And my future career projection was really to go do a year unaccompanied. And at the time I had a young son, it it was just time for me to focus my legacy elsewhere on things that would have a longer impact, namely the next generation. So I retired and that was in 2012. I started going work as a consultant for another agency, and uh, initially was really really happy with it felt like i was still able to contribute making really good money and i didn't even have to be in charge of pencils which was outstanding but eventually that gets boring right (laughs) and so basically there was a vacuum a mental vacuum if you will and nature abhors a vacuum so my solution to boredom was to go to grad school which, you know, that should tell you a lot about my decision-making to begin with. So anyway, I go through grad school, and at the time, what I wanted to do was look at something that would allow me to contribute to the greater society upon graduation. So I went for Renewable Energy and Sustainability Systems at at Penn State. Well, I got into it, and uh, it was a a program, certainly rigorous, and, you know, my mind was engaged, but I – at One class I came across, uh, we were talking about corporate social responsibility, and we specifically started talking about kind of labor abuse and trafficking and supply chains. And out of all the coursework I did, that was something that really, really jumped out at me. At the time, I was looking at how I might be able to translate some of what I learned from that degree into the national security realm. And that seemed like something I could do here because there, because there could be a need for the national security apparatus to be looking at trafficking but that that was the surface of it that's all i really thought at the time but it definitely stayed with me so it did prompt me to do other research i graduated and all that good stuff started researching the issue of labor trafficking a little bit more and then human trafficking heretofore i really didn't know much about it. you know thought okay yeah human trafficking is this thing where you know it's overseas found a whole bunch of stuff about sex trafficking Found out about stuff here in the U.S. Saw a whole bunch of organizations doing stuff. Some of them with backgrounds similar to mine, going in, rescuing kids, all the really, really sexy shit that you think about. Really gets your blood pumping. Um, and it, to me, it's like, oh wow, I get to l- I could potentially go save a kid, and you know, even work with some of the guys that have a similar background. Wow, dream job, right? But then I started thinking about it a little bit more, and. This is going to come as a shock, but rescuing kids is like playing whack-a-mole to a degree, okay? And I'll, t- I'll explain why in a few minutes. So I continued my research, continued my research, continued my research. And I came across this organization, Deliver Fund, which the way they were talking on their website, and they were really tiny at the time, was different. And it jumped out at me because when I retired, I figured, okay, there is going to be no more use from my skill set here in the United States. I had no desire to do executive protection or anything else. But there aren't a whole lot of violent extremist networks working in the US that I could work on as a civilian. And I didn't want to go directly into law enforcement. And frankly, I was too old to get into to that. So I found DeliverFund. And they were talking about kind of this network approach that I was really, really intimately familiar with from my Tottenham teams. So I reached out to them. And you know, I guess I hoodwinked them enough that they saw fit to hire me. Either that, or the hiring standards were really low back then, um, and so I joined Deliverfund. And the focus at the time was on sex trafficking and taking a network approach. And this is where I say that it's rescuing a kid is like whack-a-mole, because when you step back and start taking a larger view of it, I'm not saying anybody should be in trafficking conditions for one second of their life, however. Traffickers only look at their victims as commodities. They are not viewed as humans. They are not viewed as viable beings with a life, a soul, or anything else. They are simply a can of soup. And when you go into any given store and you take a can of soup off of a shelf, you are telling the producer, make more soup. So when you rescue a victim, and that is all you do, you are telling that trafficker, go recruit another victim. Okay, let's pause for a moment there. You have rescued one person, but you are now telling the rec- the trafficker go recruit another person, and they do.
0: Also, as you and I know from our previous incarnations, you're putting them on notice that they're mm-hmm. in the targeting view. Exactly, they're in the window. And what what do bad guys do when they're in the view? They go to ground. They disappear. They make it harder to find and rescue other people.
1: Right. So, in that, you know, when you start talking about you've you freed one victim, but now they go out and recruit another one, usually younger or more able bodied, you're making the problem worse. So, that is not a long term strategy. It feels good, it's sexy as hell, but it is not effective. It's not impactful on a large scale. So, I started looking at, okay, sex trafficking we could let let's take a network approach and that's what we're doing at deliver Fund. is taking that network approach utilizing data and then ultimately creating a, a map of the network all the evidence or information that you want associated with that network and you're able to find the critical nodes of the network and here's the key piece is whether you like the system or not whether you agree with a you know the criminal justice system or how effective or ineffective it is, it doesn't matter. It's the system. And you cannot, as a private citizen, go out and conduct rogue operations. We're not in the military anymore. I mean, it'd feel good, probably be very effective, but it's not possible. And if you want the long-term solution, you have to work within the system and work to make the system better. And, and so that's what we were trying to do and what we are doing. Basically, we're taking all that information, and then we turn it over to law enforcement so that they can then look at it, and we give them the who, what, when, where, and where to go to get the information. And that's key because once they go get it now, under the rules of parallel construction, it is evidence, and it can be used in the prosecution, which is the long-term goal. Get the prosecution of a trafficker, and it's hugely successful, way more impactful than just rescuing a victim. I'm not saying that victims should not be rescued, but it is not a singular approach. It's not a singular successful strategy. And there's a, lot of peop- there's a lot of people in the space doing a lot of good things, but I submit that taking a much more robust public-private partnership approach and looking at it from a larger picture, using data and technology to facilitate things is a way, way better solution.
0: You know, you mentioned uh, how good it feels to run out there and grab somebody. We all love to be the hero. We all love to do a spectacular event kind of a thing and you know, you and I learned through our maturation in the SEAL teams that the the shooter is not the most pr- most powerful person in a platoon. The platoon leader oversight. The platoon leader doesn't have his hand on an M4. He's not lobbing 204 rounds. He's Looking around, he's choosing what's next for the, the nine or fifteen other people with M4s in his platoon. What do we do? How do we get out of here? How do we focus fire? And that's the that's the the big view, the the step back and and review and see what we can do because one shooter alone can have very little effect, but you multiply that and synergize that with using the system, as you say, using the system as it is, and improving the system. That's such a huge issue for us. Uh, I want to bring on uh, Eric Bond, Coach Eric, co-host of Beyond Your Limits, Brother Man. Welcome to uh, our episode on this very grim issue.
2: Thanks. Glad to be here, Rob. Mike, thanks so much for taking time. This this topic, I'll be, I'll be completely open and transparent. I didn't know that we were going to go down this road in this conversation today. So this is as I'm sitting here trying to digest some of this stuff. It is uncomfortable to think about. And first thing it is it makes me think about kind of the area in which you know I live in, which is, you know, north of Buffalo. I live in outside of a town called Lewiston. We're right on the my Canadian border is right across the river from me over here. Literally, you got the border and it's 175 steps from my house we have lake ontario to the north of us which you know toronto is a is a a crazy city for trafficking i'd have to imagine and i have um i have friends that are in in border patrol obviously is very prevalent in the area that i live in and being living literally on an international border i hear from them that you know the the trafficking does exist a lot of it comes in from at least in this area comes in from asia and it's something that I think it's alarming for a lot of people because you never see it. You never touch it. You never feel it. You never actually see it. And if you see it, you don't know what you're even looking at. So Mike, when you're looking at like a network, as you say, like does a network like that, that maybe has a base of operations in Toronto that comes across by boat into like, you know, into New York state here. Does that literally go all the way back to Asian countries? Is that like, how does that, like how vast is that network? That is a really good question, Eric. So there is some of that,
1: yes. There are absolutely transnational ties to other countries, whether that is going back to really, frankly, Russia and Eastern Europe on you know, different models of trafficking, you know, Russian Albanian versus DTO versus Asian in the illicit massage parlors. And we could have a whole whole episode on, on that topic alone. That does happen, but the larger percentage in the United States specific to sex trafficking actually takes place intra-United States. It is American people buying and selling other American people. Wow. And, and those networks, what that looks like, it can be a small network of you know one trafficker, make no mistakes, a pimp is a trafficker, and two girls up to... Basically, what the networks that look like a multi-level marketing type of operation. And, and they are out there, and they can have you know up, upwards of 10, 15 girls, and they're stable that way. And a stable is what they refer to it as. Um, it's not my term. But fortunately, in order to make money, it's a volume business. So they have, to, they have to sell volume. That's how they make money. And make no mistakes, a trafficker can make north of $500,000 a year selling girls. And the girls don't get to keep that money. And that's with a stable of two to four girls. He can easily make $500,000 a year. Or she. I'm sorry. <laughs> let me let me not be too gender specific because the sad reality is there are females that are actually traffickers as well. Some of them have been victims previously and then moved into management positions within that network. So there is that. So the networks are very, very different. Some of it is based on cultural ties. Some of it is coming out of the game type of thing. So there's different types of networks and different sizes of networks, but they are all tied together. They are all using advertising in some way, shape or form. And frankly, they're, they're recruiting using technology as well. So a lot of recruitment takes place on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, pick your poison. They do a lot of recruiting on there. And Rob, you'll, you'll appreciate this one, you know, People like to think of the intelligence community as this secret, you know, kind of society that has special powers. (laughs) These traffickers are using the same recruitment methods as the intel community. (laughs) They spot, they assess, they recruit, they train and develop, and ultimately they may end up terminating as well.
0: Well, they have a more urgent sense for effective tradecraft because their literally lives depend on it where – Most of our work is almost as distant as you described the assumption about trafficking happens overseas. No big whoop for me. As you said, Eric, I can't even see it. It's not something, even though you're literally watching it without knowing what you're seeing uh, across the river, uh, crossing the river. But, you know, in the American intel system, we're not putting our lives at risk as much as the movies would show. God bless the movies, it's fun drama. But our agents are not agents. Uh, agent, agents are not, to, to, to give the, the listener some context, an agent is not an American citizen. An agent is a person who is being managed by an American citizen who's trained in tradecraft to find, illicit, uh, recruit, and manage and coerce or whatever the process may be. Uh, that person is just a, a manager. Uh, looking at uh, an HR list, a stable, if you will, or a desktop of, of employees who are agents and are betraying their country. Uh, and their lives are very much on the line because when their country says, oh, you're betraying our country, we got we got a policy for that. And the people that were engaging in this kind of activity are not living in nice countries as a general rule. These aren't Denmark citizens. <laughs> These are people in countries that will cut your head off or torture you to death. So as as, as uncomfortable as all that is, The American is still at a safe distance, usually from the actual threat. But in trafficking, the trafficker, that person is very much engaged in the game and protecting his or her life as well as uh, livelihood. Correct.
1: You know, trafficking, whether it's sex, labor, or organ trafficking, and there are people who are trafficked for their organs. Make no mistake, it it is an industry. And if we're talking about sex trafficking, I mean, the fact is, it's industrialized rape. That is exactly what it is. These people are forcibly raped multiple times a day, and they get no recompense.
0: So this is a really interesting angle. I mean, like I said up front, you know, I'm going to drop an F-bomb in a, in a topic, in a conversation that is fucked up and painful and ugly and very unsettling, as you were talking about, Eric. Even just uh, touching on the subject is is a new level of uncomfy. What drives the drug trade in America? We hear the arguments on both sides about legalize it. You know no crime means no criminal profits. So we talk about you know, bringing stuff across the southern border and how, how the cartels are, are you know, so brutal and butchering millions uh, over over decades. In the sex trade, there are all kinds of national laws. Um, a lot of uh, European countries have more flexible sex traf- uh, sex, uh, sex work, I would say, more sex work uh, industry. Uh, it's illegal in America, with very few exceptions, uh, whatever the Nevada may have going on. So there's there's a demand based on scarcity, too, isn't there?
1: So you bring up a really good point, and I'm going to get into my inner nerd again. So sex trafficking in the U.S. is an illicit industry in an illicit market, because as you said, commercial sex is illegal in the US, Okay? Makes it easier to detect. But when we start talking about stuff like legalizing the drugs or legalizing all of this stuff, the data shows, and there's peer reviewed journals that exemplify this, that the when you legalize the commercial sex industry, the additive effect for trafficking outweighs the substitutive effect. That is data. That's not conjecture. That's not opinion. That's not belief. That is data that shows that. The reason that is, and it's a great segue into labor trafficking, is you're creating a legitimate market over which an illicit activity and market directly overlays. That makes it harder to detect. When it's illicit in the U.S., it's much easier to detect. Labor trafficking, is very hard to detect because it's legitimate commerce. But then there's this dark, illegitimate market directly overlaying it. So there's a lot more noise that has to be filtered out. And that gets very, very challenging. So the whole legalization thing, whether you like it or not, and you know, I won't talk to the drugs because I don't study that, but on the sex trafficking piece, the legalization will make the problem worse for those reasons.
0: That's interesting. It's unlike soup. It makes a, like you said, the soup is a commodity that we can easily see the manufacturers, the distribution system and all. But in this case, it makes it profitable to introduce illicit products into that illicit market when you, when you have a chance to bring some more Russian girls yep. over or more Malaysian mm-hmm. girls.
1: Right. So uh, the good news is we live in an interconnected world. And the internet and telecommunications technology has advanced and brought us all this stuff. You and I are talking to each other from across the country, right? Internet does great things. We can communicate all the way across the world at the speed of light. That same data means that traffickers use and they have to do stuff. You get online, you leave a breadcrumb. That is there in perpetuity. So technology and data, if you know how to go find it, And you collect it and process it, you can find these networks and then work with the system to overlay that. And uh, we, we have done that even with labor trafficking. So we can identify risk of labor trafficking in labor markets through that exact same type of process. Just innovation.
0: How do you distinguish that? What is
1: labor trafficking? Well, fundamentally, any service provided is a labor. So in theory... You know, you could commer- you could qualify sex trafficking as labor trafficking, right? It's, it's a subset of labor trafficking, but generally we break them out into sex, labor, and organ trafficking. And then there's multiple subtypes underneath that. Whether it's you know domestic servitude, commercial uh, commercial cleaning, agriculture, construction industry. You know, is it is it child sex trafficking? Is it familial? And there's multiple multiple subtypes underneath each type. So, yeah, labor trafficking really is just performing labor for which you are not allowed to keep the the proceeds of that labor, or a very minimal part.
0: Are you looking at people coming across the southern border, for example, with the coyotes and the and the, the mill vans full of human beings, some of whom are dead destined not just because they want to get across the border, but they're actually being delivered across the border for that purpose of indentured servitude.
1: A- a- absolutely. So that is that is one way okay right so whether they are initially trafficked and we're just going to take the southern border as an example it is not the sole entry point by any means but it certainly is in the national consciousness so we'll take that you have people who may be fully trafficked across the border they they were already in a situation where they had no freedom of movement And they were there either force fraud or coercion. And under the U S law, those are the three elements you have to have to have trafficking. Oftentimes that gets conflated with smuggling, human smuggling and human trafficking are not the same thing. Human smuggling are the people who want to come across for whatever their motivation is, right? They, they desire to come across. They have essentially agency of their own. However, because they come across and they are undocumented, they have no support network, they are extremely vulnerable to then being subsequently trafficked. And that happens. They are <laughs> come across the border. They're here illegally. They are extremely vulnerable because they have no documentation. They have no support network, like I mentioned. They have no true employment prospects. So they can then be sold it could be all within one network or it could be essentially hey we'll introduce you to this person who traffics you they are then trafficked whether that's for sex or labor you know whether that's you know in the ag industry construction industry whatever the case might be
0: so that's a really interesting point. I, I never knew the distinction between trafficking and smuggling. I've always heard both of course in the in the news. We 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 if you will lay people hear those terms and we think they're interchangeable, but you can actually have a smuggling network which is connected to a trafficking internal domestic US trafficking network and the smuggled are unwitting illegally entering, people are like, yay, I'm going to have a land of opportunity. And they're literally being handed off to somebody like the girl in my introduction, Stray Rath, who is now being sent to somebody else's basement to do product development.
1: Absolutely. And again, I mean, this is not just a Malaysian problem. It's not just an overseas problem. This is happening here in the United States. It's a sad state that we are in the 21st century and uh, we are still treating other human beings this way.
0: Yes, yes. Human nature has a an ugly side that there's always yeah. going to be that 10%, isn't there? The in in, in you know uh, let's look at something ridiculous. G- Jim Collins, good to great. He says, "Get the right people on the bus." You know, in terms of industry or business or executive leadership, say, "Hey, get the right people on the bus. Then you can train them into being the best training person or the best HR person or the best finance person." Here in terms of human character, There's always a bottom 10% you don't want to have in the game, but there's never not going to be a bottom 10% that will exploit other people's harm and suffering for their own advancement.
1: Yeah. I mean, the reality is, while in my mind it's incomprehensible how we are still here in the 21st century, you're right. There are always going to be
0: bad actors. It's just, it's sad. The opportunity exists Yeah, Yeah. and and some will take it. Yeah. so let's make this really shitty conversation even shittier. Let's talk about the crossover between what you're describing here, industrial, institutionalized, systemic trafficking for sex, and the crisis of misuse of children, abuse of children with pedophilia. There's got to be a massive intersection there for this provider of services like you've talked about. A lot, we always think about, yeah. you know, let's go kill a pedo. They've got pedo, pedophilia. Pedo, pedophile uh, hunting permits, you know, it's all pop culture. Like you said, it's sexy to go shoot a guy. It's sexy to go catch a catch and bring a kid back and maybe do some kind of action movie, pop a couple of guys in the head while you're there doing it. That is just, it's not effective. It's not making a positive difference. And in, in the crossover to the abuse of children, It's not, you know, people, please stop thinking it's cool to have a pedo uh, hunting permit because you're not going to accomplish shit. You're going to, you're just, again, sensitizing the target audience to say, okay, cool. They're looking for me. Great. These guys are already at their highest point of trademark, tradecraft Mm. to not get caught. How does trafficking engage, intersect with that industry of taking kids?
1: So before I jump into that, I'll just kind of talk to your point about, you know, the people going out and doing stuff and. You know, you hear these stats, rescued, you know, hundreds of kids, you know, this, that, or the other. And, and I'm not talking about the, the authorities per se. I'm talking about kind of what I'll just refer to as the rogue vigilantes. Frankly, similar to a lot of the books you see on SEAL teams and all this other stuff, it's probably about 90% bullshit. Yes. Okay. Uh, that, that's God's honest truth.
0: Great, great self promotion of stories. Yes. Great media yeah. capture. Got some videos, some photos. We're standing right. with our trophy guy.
1: Yeah. So, I understand that most of it is BS, but there are rogue, rogue vigilantes. The intersection between kind of the pedophilia, child sexual sexual abuse material and human trafficking. There is a portion of human trafficking that is child sex trafficking and involved in the production of child sexual abuse material. We don't get into that in particular, and there's a very good reason why. It's illegal <laughs> uh, in the United States you cannot willingly go out and search for child pornography even if you have the best of intentions because you are committing a felony as soon as you download that stuff
0: that's interesting and it makes sense
1: yeah only the authorities meaning law enforcement has the has the ability to legally do that there's one other organization the national center for missing and exploited children outside of that nobody if they're telling you they're doing it they're either Criminals, or they're <laughs> bullshit. That's <laughs> I mean,
0: complicated.
1: They're,
2: they're, yeah. So, or they're actually that, wow. A, wow. Yeah. So yeah. that
1: that's kind of the status on that part. You know, it's incredibly sad when you when you hear about that that sort of stuff. And frankly, Backpage was the largest purveyor of human trafficking on the internet. Back they got taken down back in 2018. The only reason they did is because they were found to be internally manipulating the ad. So if a trafficker put on, hey, I've got this 16-year-old, she's looking for you, type of thing, they knew that that was illegal, so they would modify the ad on their end to, say, 18 or, or above. That's why they got hemmed up, not because of any you know any other reason, frankly.
0: Wow. Uh, wow. Sort no. of like uh, FCC rules, basically, like uh, prosecuting Capone yeah. for his taxes as compared yeah. to the murders. Right. Wow.
2: My question that I that I have is so you look at you look at trafficking and you know and every once in a while like I hear rumors, nothing nothing has been, you know, in concrete. But I you know, I hear that, you know, just because our area is such a huge tourist area, you know, where I live, you know, you hear rumors about, oh, you know, there was this person in this car and they, you know, it seemed like they worked as a team and they approached my daughter and my daughter was 14 years old and they started asking her questions about where she likes to hang out. And, you know, they wanted to show her a video game or they said that they were doing a music video or they said they were doing all of these other things. Um, Is there a certain, I'm sure it, it depends on the group, but is there a certain profile that, that traffickers or pedophiles look for like, you know, a softer target, right? Like, so like I look at like a hard target, soft target, there are a certain soft target profile that they're driving around and they're like, yep, that's the person that I'm gonna go talk to. Like what, what, does that kind of exist?
1: In the broad strokes, yes. So there are those weird, weird creepers, right? With the white van who will, uh, Find the girls on the street. But there are also more than that online. So the profile that you're talking about, they look for people who have vulnerabilities. And then they will find those vulnerabilities and they will exploit them. Whether those are drugs, whether that is a child that is venting about something they don't like at home, traffickers will absolutely take that and exploit it. And don't make the mistake in thinking that it is a short process. We've had a couple of cases where you know, a 14-year-old boy was groomed over the period of 18 months before he finally agreed to go meet somebody he thought was somebody his age. Ended up not being, ended up being a truck driver who took him to another state. But we're able to identify things through technology that were able to assist law enforcement in that case. But the point being that, yeah, most of it's going to be done online, as opposed to the creeper and the white van. Not saying that that doesn't happen, but they are looking for those kids who may not have a great home life, or may just be doing what teenagers do, which is bitching about mom and dad and how all this is unfair because you know they didn't get the latest <laughs> iPhone with all their friends. You know,
0: yeah, you you know that's an amazing segue. I don't want to leave the listener with a. Disgusting pit of grossness in their stomach today, and say, "Oh, you know, this is a horrible topic. I can't believe they made me think about these things." Rather, we should be thinking now about what can we do. I want to leave that, you know. I want to, I want to give that to you fully because you can help us. Uh, Eric and I and you—we're all people. We're, we're men who have kids. Either they're small kids now, or they were small kids. In my case. And every parent in the world is terrified by this. In fact, we're doing a little sneak peek. Uh, my security expert, impact coach, Art Dorst, and I are, are looking at building a scenario, or not a scenario, but a series of impact products notionally called Parents with a Plan. Because active shooting, because schools, because home emergencies, because of abduction. And so we want to be leaving people with ideas like, okay, here's some actionable shit I can do. Like I've heard, for example that there is a sign that a distressed kid can offer to a passerby or wave from a car or something. You can share on these things to us as well as what do we need to be doing? I mean, I'm, I'll say this right now. We all know that better communication with our kids is critical. You know, say, hey, you can talk to me and not just blowing smoke up their ass about you can talk to me about anything. But seriously, there's things I don't, I don't want to tell you about every horrible thing in the world right now, but I want you to be aware there's awful things I want to protect you from. So please, please talk to me. That's, ground yep. that's the ground uh, floor of the thing all right what else right. what do we need to know so you 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 talked about the whole yeah i mean there's those hand signs you can
1: put up behind your back it, and those those will work in, in certain situations two issues one the victim has to be aware of it and two people surrounding them have to be aware of it. it then they also know have to know what to do once they see that right so what i will say just from the what do i do If you take nothing away, report it to law enforcement, to your local or state law enforcement. That is your course of action. Give it to law enforcement so they can investigate it. Okay, but when we start getting to the what can we do, you hit it communication, and it's not just hey you can talk to me. It is having that free and open dialogue. It's you know what having those conversations with your kids, talking about your family values. Then your response when the child comes to you that is critical. I mean, frankly, if you lose your shit you're going to shut down those avenues of communication. So providing that opportunity for them to speak, letting them know that it's a safe space and then having the appropriate response to further that engagement. Listen, we have to accept the fact that the world is not what it was when we were kids. Kids are going to communicate on platforms, whether that's a cell phone, whether that's a, a gaming app or a gaming box, they are going to do that. Short of taking it out of the house, they're, they're going to do it. So understanding with whom they are communicating, setting the ground rules for how they are communicating. Like, hey, you want to go on Discord? Okay, well, you can have 10 friend friends on there that you don't know in real life. So these are just usernames that want to, okay. Making sure that you as a parent have those usernames. Right? Because if something goes south, guess what? Now you have something tangible to report to law enforcement. Monitoring those communications, talking to them about those communications. Hey, have you heard of them say this, that, or the other? You know, just providing them the information because kids don't want to be taken away. They don't want to go into this into this life. So those are a couple of the really, really key components. You know, when we talk about other things, having a network, you know, having a network of other people. Who can support you? Support the kid, you know? Who who are the extended family? Who are the close neighbors? That that sort of thing. Really? It, intrusive leadership, mm-hmm. which is a term you are absolutely familiar with. But <laughs> Jocko
0: intrusive would intrusive leadership. Jocko would say own it. And yeah. then and then start from that foundation and just and walk in, walk mm-hmm. into it from there. Yes. The, you know, the community, what, what it takes a village is so, it almost has a negative connotation because it sounds like it's, oh, airy-fairy stuff. No, it's not airy-fairy stuff. It's how s- human systems function. And we've lost it. We've lost neighborhood. We've lost community. We've lost the neighbors and the cup of sugar. And, hey, my kid's struggling with this. Or can you watch my kids? I got an emergency. I got to go. That's what humans used to do. Why don't we get back to that right now? incrementally and that begins the process of protecting all of our children right
1: I, I would i would ask your listeners how many of you know your next door neighbors how many of you know the person across the street or two houses down growing up i knew who they were but sadly i mean i don't know who most of my neighbors are nowadays right you know I, and so there, there's a very valid point in knowing your community it because it does um we are not solitary creatures by nature, we are pack animals.
0: And we've actually faded away from that with, for many reasons. And we're all, the grown-ups have tech, too. You know, the grown-ups mm-hmm. have their faces yeah. and their phones, too. and And we tend to be too busy. And I remember I moved out of one house after five years there and realized I'd sat in the the jetted garden spa, five times, once per year on average, that I picked the house for because it was so awesome. But I was too busy to enjoy this, yeah. this luxury I bought for myself. As one ridiculous example, we need to get reengaged. We need to stop and slow down, step back and deal with okay, what do I need? What do my family need? What do the other families need? How can I contribute? How do we be part of something?
1: You know, I, I will also say that, you know, this is a, this, this can seem overwhelming to a lot of people. You know, oh my God, what am I going to do? This can't control it. It's very easy. Kind of the next piece that, you know, is break it into smaller chunks, right? Create a quanta of it, if you will, and take each piece in its, in its part and focus on that piece, then focus on the next piece, tie those together, focus on the next piece, tie that into the previous two. That will help you get to where you need to be.
0: Any step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. Yeah. Just take it. Do something small, and uh, and one of the easiest things we can do, who are not in your business, is help you do your business. How does that happen? How do we? How do we support? Deliver fund? How do we support fully doing what he's doing with them?
1: Well, I, I will tell you, we're we're a nonprofit. We are privately funded, so donations are always always welcome because they go to programs, right? So that that funds the generation of a target package for law enforcement It funds our ability to develop other technologies that will help law enforcement that disrupt it the other thing is i mean learn about it you know that that's another aspect of being a leader is the continual learning you you can't stop learning you will stagnate and stagnation dies right i mean so learn www.deliverfund.org is a really good resource the Google machine, you just Google human trafficking slash parent. What do I do? Continually learn. And and that trans that transcends justice this issue. That that goes against against all spheres of life.
0: That's a really, really important point that goes to Stephen Covey's circles of influence and circles of concern. Today, most people on social are focused on their in, their circle of concern, like, oh, I'm really interested in this topic, and they waste their time learning about stuff they literally can have no effect on. But by you and I learning about human trafficking, uh, you know, the right amount, not just becoming obsessed with it and becoming overwhelmed and there's nothing I can do. What can I do here? What can I do about My community, how do I do one outreach to one person? And that's, that's the stuff I want to leave the listener with is to say, dude, there's, there's always something you can do always. However small, take the steps. What do you want them? What do you want to leave the listener with today? What do you want the, the, the takeaway to be from you? You don't have to change the world
1: to have a meaningful impact. So you can do one small thing and that positive thing is meaningful it is impactful. You may not realize it in the moment. You may not ever realize the impact that it has. But don't think that because you're not changing the world or having some sort of a grand impact on whatever scale, that it it limits you. Because it doesn't. A, A thousand small impacts oftentimes outweigh that one great impact that you may have thought you wanted to have. So. Taking that little, that first little step, and then building on that, taking another little step. You know, I, I will tell you that one of the things that I, I personally find a lot of fulfillment in is working at our local food bank. My son and I volunteer there, and uh, not changing the world by any stretch, or making somebody's life a little bit better for that period of time. You know,
0: and your son's life better
1: for yes, life absolutely I mean, by the we, example. We, Absolutely. We have to, we have to live what we want them to learn. Um, but my point there with respect to this conversation is just simply, Hey, that little piece, right? We make it better.
0: And and frankly,
1: that's the, that should be the goal to leave things a little bit better than the way you
0: found it. And it's possible. That's a hell yes. of a, a profound insight in its simplest form. Just do something, do something yes. and then do something else <laughs> and, and repeat <laughs> until dead. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's right. fantastic. This is a very powerful, powerful message, and I really appreciate it. We're going to bust out some lessons from this to, to, to share with folks. So much so much appreciation to you, Brother Man, for coming on today.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me, Rob. Eric, it was great to meet you.
0: Great to meet you as well, man.
2: Thanks for all you do.
1: Well, thank you. It, it remains an honor, sir.
0: And how do they follow your message? Well, I forgot to ask that specifically. And DeliverFund.org, of course, is a place people can yes. go. I know I see you on LinkedIn. You're sharing stuff there. Yes. How do we, how do somebody find you and follow up and even reach out to you if they want to?
1: I guess the the best way to follow up with me specifically would be love at deliverfund.org. That would be my, my email that you can reach out to me on. Or you can, you know, on the website, info at deliverfund.org send, send us an email right on there, there's a number of different ways to, to reach out because frankly we want we want to get
0: you the education we want to make life better and i'll spell that for those who don't know it's full like full of stumping and i in the middle and love like love he's full of love yeah. <laughs> f-u-l-l-i-l-o-v-e michael dot at deliverfund.org fantastic thank you so much brother thank you both And to everyone listening, this is heavy, and we go heavy. We're going to do real talk in this show. We're not going to waste our time talking about the latest fashions. Unless the latest fashions are something that deals with human, you know, whole person development and and how to feel better about yourself. So keep coming back, keep listening to this message, and we will see you soon. Thanks for joining us on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois, the podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs. Unchain your potential and create the meaningful life you were made for. For more information about Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, visit impactactual.com. And be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen so you'll never miss a show. We'll see you next time on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois.